Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? And see, this is so like the enemy to destroy the light and use this as a means to try and inflict guilt and remorse and David and cause more havoc. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As Pastor Rob continues chapter 22, we learn that when David came back into Judah with his men, Saul's network of informants quickly discovered them. After discovering David's return, Saul addressed his men by appealing to the truly worst in them by asking if a man from Judah would favor the tribe of Benjamin with riches and promotions. In his fleshly, self-focused world, everything revolved around Saul. He became paranoid and he led through guilt and accusation. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, and follow along with Pastor Rob. ...to make sure his mom and dad are in safekeeping. But why Moab? Why Moab? Very simple. Turn with me to Ruth. Ruth, chapter 4. This is one of those moments where the light bulb goes off in your head. And I love this because why would a, a, a man of God, even though he wasn't acting like a man of God, certainly wasn't acting like a man of faith at times, especially in front of Achish, why would David go to the enemies of Israel? Look at Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and we'll see the answer of why he went to Moab. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth... And she became his wife, and when he went into her, remember Boaz was a man of Judah, but Ruth was a Moabitess because her husband, Chalon, Chilion, uh, I believe it was Chalon or, or Malon or Chilion, had died. Remember, and Naomi brought Ruth back to Israel with her. But Ruth herself was a Gentile. She was of the seed of, really, uh, of Lot's two daughters. Remember, he had that incestuous relationship, and they gave birth to Ben-Ami, which is uh, uh, the children of Ammon, and Moab. Okay, those two sons. So all these people are really enemies. They, they, they didn't get along with the other 12 tribes of Israel. They, they were kind of like bad company, <laughs> and certainly because of their, they became enemies of Israel. But notice, Boaz, who is from Judah, he takes this Ruth Moabitess to wife, and she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, which was 
um, uh, Ruth's mother-in-law. She said, Blessed be the Lord who, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, speaking of Ruth, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And then Naomi took the child, lay him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, This is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) Do you see why now he takes his mom and dad to Moab? Because he's related to his mother. His great-grandmother was Ruth. His great-grandmother was Ruth, a Moabitess. So he takes his family, his mother and father, the, the thing that's most valuable to him, and he can entrust them into another enemy, really. But it's interesting because Saul, remember, destroyed many of them in his campaign in chapter 14 or 15, actually chapter 14, and because David now was suffering at the hands of Saul, can you see the camaraderie now? The, the, the king of Moab's going, yeah, we know what that's like, David. We didn't like him either. He killed most of our guys, and he's, he's, he's coming after you too? Hey, I remember your grandmother. She was a resident of this place. We know her. We know her family. Her sister came back here. We, you're in good company here, David. You can stay here. You can bring your family here. And so David does. So he's down there in Mizpah of Moab. And now the prophet Gad said to David, verse 5, Do not stay in the stronghold. In other words, don't stay there in Mizpah of Moab, because it really was a stronghold. Don't get this confused with Adullam, because he's in Moab right now. So the prophet Gad, who was really a, a man of God, a seer, a prophet, if you will, comes to David and say, David, don't stay here. He says, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. And so David departed and he went into the forest of Hereth. The forest of Hereth was a few miles from his first place that he was hiding at Adullam. Just to the east, really, of where David was in Judah before he fled to take his parents to Moab. Just a few miles east of that was the forest of Hereth, and that is where David returned to. And I love the fact that David didn't strive with the prophet Gad. You know, he assumed that God was using the prophet for David's well-being, and he obeyed him. He wasn't this guy now that he's a captain over 500 men or 400 men. He wasn't feeling so important that he wasn't going to listen to anybody else. He was, a, he was not a stubborn, self-willed man like Saul. David was teachable, and that's why God could entrust so great things to him. Any great leader, if they're teachable, that's a really good thing. But when you, don't have a, when you have somebody who's not willing to learn, who is not teachable any longer, they usually become despots. They become, you know, um, they become a problem. <laughs> but God can use a man who is teachable, right? And that's why God loved David so much. He didn't think too much of himself, that he was so high and mighty that he couldn't learn. So David had this wonderful relationship with Gad, and he listened to him because he knew the Lord was speaking. And um, that takes a real, a, a real humble man, a man of a different character than Saul. Notice in verse 6, it says, Now when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered in the forest of Hereth, not too far away from his first landing spot in Adullam, 
Saul was staying in Gibeah, which was further north, under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with a spear in his hand and all the servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? And see, this is so like the enemy to destroy the light and use this as a means to try and inflict guilt and remorse and David and cause more havoc. You know, Saul here is reminding these men that are loyal to him. He's reminding them of their heritage, of their tribal loyalties. Saul is so insecure. Saul is so embittered and, and, you know, with hatred and jealousy. He's even fearful of those around him. So here he's reminding them of the tribal ties that they have and their sense of loyalty. And he even strikes a a, a goad, if you will. He kind of pokes David in the eye by calling him the son of Jesse. Everybody knew who he was. He was David. But when he says son of Jesse, it's somewhat lessening him. Does that make sense to you? When he doesn't use his name, he's saying son of Jesse. In other words, he's not that significant. He's just son of somebody else. He's not his own man. And certainly by this time, David was famous in Israel, although on the run now because Saul was a madman. And we see this phrase, the son of Jesse. We see Saul calling him this. Uh, even back in chapter 20, we see it in verse 27 and verse 30 and verse 31. We also see Saul using this phrase in this very chapter that we're looking at. In, 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 in verse 7 that we're looking at now, certainly in verse 8, and then in verse 9 and 13, he, just, he never recalls or refers to David as David. It's always the son of Jesse because he doesn't want to ascribe any greatness to this young man who is better than him. And he was. God told him that through the prophet Samuel. A man better than you is going to take your place. Boy, that just frosted him. As soon as he said that, man, the bullseye on David's chest just got really big. You know, in fact, everywhere he went, there was a red X. You know, he could see it from space, from a satellite. But notice what Saul says to these servants. He says, Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and of hundreds? Notice in this, by addressing the men that were loyal to him, first Saul creates doubt of David concerning that he would take care of them at all. He creates that doubt when actually David was a much better man. And we're going to see later on after Saul passes from the scene that David even takes in Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, under his wing and restores him and and blesses the, the rest of his family. He wasn't like Saul. Saul would kill the priests. David wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. But So first he creates doubt concerning that David would even take care of them Secondly, he puts them in fear of conspiring against the king. Sounds like a guy who's pretty paranoid, wouldn't you say? So in verse 8, he says, All of you have conspired against me, and there is not one of you who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. There it is again. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me. You can almost hear the pity party. You can almost see his lower lip starting to quiver. You know, too bad the, you know, his lower lip starts to quiver, and he starts to get that pouty face like you see your three-year-old when he doesn't get enough candy. None of you are sorry for me 
or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait. Does that sound like David? Was David lying in wait for him? No, it was actually the other way around. This is how twisted Saul had gotten. And this is the way people get when, when unrepentant sin, when they don't repent and, and they're, they're bent on this kind of anger and hatred and jealousy, pretty soon you begin to forecast the things that you're thinking from other, on, on other people. And you think that they're believing what you're thinking. And often it's not that case. This behavior is a result of a man who's got a guilty conscience. He's paranoid. Again, feeling sorry for himself. David wasn't lying in wait. Saul was lying in wait for him. This is why we should never presume too much about anything. You know, to be careful and not judge and allow the enemy to create problems in our heads that aren't true or based in fact or reality concerning other people that you might be having a problem or difficulty with. Concerning Saul's delusions and jealousy, one author wrote this. I thought it was really interesting. It really describes Saul pretty well. He said, It is not uncommon for people suffering from this kind of mental, emotional disorder to imagine that they are being conspired against, cheated, spied on, or followed, or that they are in danger of being poisoned or drugged or killed in some way. The root of such feelings is insecurity, and any threat perceived or real intensifies the sufferer's sense of vulnerability. They become fearful of all they see as rivals. They isolate themselves from those who do not believe they can be trusted, and they filter all information through a preconceived grid that ends in confirming their worst fears or suspicions. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you felt that way? The devil plays with your head about relationships around you when you're suspicious of somebody talking behind your back, and maybe... Maybe there's good reason for you to feel that way, but your heart and your mind, and certainly the devil's encouraging this kind of thing and even throws some wood on the fire to make it even worse because even in your emotions, the devil loves to take over and he likes to exasperate those things. He likes to ignite those things to get you off, to get you somewhere else, to get your mind on hate and destruction rather than on peace and restoration. Have you ever, this ever happened to you where you're so angry and bitter with somebody? You assume that they feel the same about you, and here you are preparing this battle in your head when it's only against your own thoughts. And later you find out that the other person had no idea. <laughs> they weren't thinking that at all. They weren't thinking of you at all. <gasps> are you serious? Nobody's thinking about me. No, they weren't even thinking about you at all. <laughs> That's a humbling thing. You're so mad at somebody and you think that they're, they're planning your end or planning to revenge upon you. Am I the only one that's happened to? Have you felt that? Raise your hand if you're bold enough. Oh, good. The rest of you are lying. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But it is. It's one of these things where the devil loves to play with our heads, and he's a master at it. He's been doing it since the beginning. Don't let him do it, folks. Your feelings and your thoughts are so precious. And if we start letting the devil into our heart and our mind, even as a Christian, you can let the, the devil play with your head. And you can start thinking evil things like Saul's doing. And he, he's imagining that David is conspiring against him. David could have killed him at least two times. We'll read about that coming up. Could have killed him twice, at least, if he wanted to. And he didn't. So verse 9, then answered Doeg, the Edomite. Notice he's an Edomite. 
He's from the, the tribe of, he comes from Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? The promise went to Jacob, not to Esau. Esau is Edom. So when you hear Edomites, the Edomites came from Esau. Okay? It tells us that in the Bible. But Doeg, this Edomite, this natural enemy of Israel, he stands up. And he's the chief herdsman of Saul. Everyone else is quiet, so... You know, and he's saying, you guys have all deserted me. You're all conspiring against me. You don't care that my son is, you know, confederate with David. None of you are looking out for me. Nobody of you, you don't even give me gifts on my birthday anymore. You know, and he starts to pout. And then Doeg stands up and goes, oh. He says, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And again, this Doeg, his name means anxious or fearing. And he was an Edomite, a natural enemy. And then answered Doeg, verse 9, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. He said, I saw the son of Jesse. We looked at that. Sorry, I'm repeating. And verse 10, and he inquired of the Lord for him. So Doeg is saying, Ahitub, or excuse me, Ahimelech has inquired of the Lord for David, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Is that true? Yes, it is true. That's exactly what he did. But in context of Saul's freakish mind that he has, he did give him provisions, didn't he? He did inquire of the Lord. And he did give him David's or Goliath's sword. So what's the problem here? The context. The context is everything. It's a half-truth. Ahimelech didn't inquire of the Lord for David against Saul. It wasn't against Saul. He inquired of the Lord for David, but not against Saul. Do you understand the difference? All, all Saul can see is that he's conspired against me. And so all Doeg's got to do is just say, oh, he inquired of the Lord. And he also gave provisions, and he also gave him the sword. So automatically, Saul is already thinking, well, it's obviously he inquired against me. Obviously, he took the sword because he wants to kill me. And obviously, he gave him, permit, you know, gave him foods to keep him alive so that he could kill me. He's against me. I know he is. Ahimelech and all of his 85 priests, they're all against me. Everybody's against me. And God's going, yep. <laughs> Everyone is against you, Saul. You need to turn to the Lord. But context is everything. So what Doeg said here was true, but the context was patently false. How important is context? Words. Out of context can mean something completely different. By us feeling... um, We need to be careful of this because friendships can be ruined when you take words out of context. Countries go to war over words taken out of context. So how important are words? Every word is important that we speak out of our mouth. That's why the Bible has so much to say about what comes out of our hearts and gossip and you know, speaking rightly and thinking, thinking good of people instead of thinking the worst all the time. But with one word can hurt a wife. One word from a wife can hurt a husband. And many of you know this because in all of our families, there are people somewhere in time. It could have been at a Christmas meal. It could have been at a birthday party. It could have been at someone's funeral years ago. And something was said by a relative of yours, and you've never forgave them for it. And it was just a word, a sentence. And instead of getting it right, you've continued to allow the thing to fuel inside your heart like a cancer. And to this day, 
you're still carrying it around. Wouldn't it be better just to go to the person and talk to them? So words are very important, and context is very important. So verse 11, the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest. So the Ahimelech is in, in the land of Nob, and so now Ahimelech and all the 85 priests, they've got to leave their ministry, and one of them gets left behind. We know that's Abiathar, and they left him there for a good reason because they don't know why the king's calling them, so they're thinking to themselves, we better leave one of you guys behind because if we don't come back, somebody needs to carry on this, this ministry. And thankfully they did leave him, but they all come and, and they travel to the west for a number of miles. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Uh, he was completely without guile. There was, no, there was no hiding anything. Ahimelech's wondering what this is all about. And I wonder if Saul's tone immediately is setting him on edge. He's like, Here I am, my lord. Like, what's next here? Why'd you bring all of us here? What's the problem? And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He said, Here I am. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Now, that's a lie. He didn't, he didn't, he's not lying in wait for, for Saul. He didn't have any weapons. David needed something. Because he knew he was being hunted. He's got to <laughs> take care of himself. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, Who among all of your servants is as faithful as David? I mean, think of this. He was really confounded by what the king is saying. Because the first time he's hearing it from the king, he's like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. And he's being genuine. And he says, Far be it, you know, um, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? He came to me. He came, you sent him. That's what David told me. David lied to him, but Ahimelech believed him. And now he's standing before the king, and the king thinks he's done this you know, conspiracy and this, uh, this treacherous thing. And he's like, who's, who's as great as and faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and honorable in your house? He was on an errand from you, king. Why? What gives? <laughs> Did I then begin to inquire of God? For him, far be it for me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And that is the truth. He was completely caught off guard by the allegations that are being made against him. And the king said, you shall surely die. And I can imagine he's just going, oh my. You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Again, Saul so unhinged. He wouldn't believe. Not that he couldn't. He wouldn't believe. And in displaced anger, he stretches out his hand and he has him killed. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. And remember, they, they're thinking to themselves, We're not going to do this. Are you, are you crazy? These are the men of God. These are the priests who do the, offer the sacrifices. We're not going to kill them. Saul, what are you doing? And at this point, you, 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 it shows here that, that they didn't lay a hand on the priests. Ah, but there's one in the group who's an enemy of Israel already. What's his name? Doeg the Edomite. He's like, I'll do it. And Doeg's thinking, hmm, I'm the chief herdsman right now. After I do this, man, I'm going to be the vice president.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.